We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on tonight. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, tonight, I am going to uh, I ask for a bunch of questions on Twitter, and I'm going to answer those tonight and see see just what we get out of it so some really good questions that were that were asked um, so i'll just dive right into it a uh, handful of big 10 questions first off to start uh, can iowa challenge the big 10 east supremacy um, my honest opinion about that is I, I don't even know if i was the best team in the big 10 west uh if we're if i'm going to be completely honest um yes they added a a good amount of pieces this year uh most notably um Cade McNamara the quarterback from Michigan transferring in Al- Eric All also a uh, tight end transferring in from Michigan so I mean some good pieces there added some good pieces on the offensive line because uh, surprisingly uh that was a place where they struggled a bit last year was the offensive line you you never hear that about uh about an Iowa football team but still uh, pretty pretty surprising um there i also must add they're adding a young man who who i know uh tegan davis from princeton illinois uh i coached uh basketball in that area and uh, he's a great young guy great young man that they're adding there but again uh, i felt they struggled a lot on the offensive line and running a football last year and Spencer Petrus, it led to him making some terrible decisions. <clears throat> and interesting enough today, um, Iowa, uh, the, 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 some gambling concerns coming out there. So the weird, weird timing with that. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I, I, until Iowa proves it offensively, I have a hard time believing that they're going to, be able to take care of business in the Big Ten West even. And the Big Ten West is going to be wide open. Um, a couple questions from now, I'm, I'm going to be talking about some of the new coaches in the in the Big Ten West. There's three new coaches. Um, and just, <clears throat> I, I think, well, first off, talking about Iowa, they lose a, a lot defensively. I mean, they have uh, two first-round picks going on the defense and Lucas Van Ness and Jack Campbell, and then uh, Riley Moss at cornerback, and and I know some uh, some other uh, talented guys on the defense uh, were lost. So, it, it, and and I'm and I don't question that they'll be able to fill those spots, but I don't know if they're going to be able to fill them with the the type of players that are leaving, um, especially the two first round picks and Van Ness and Campbell. Um, fantastic football players two of the best in college football last year um campbell was arguably the best linebacker in college football so uh when you lose somebody like that i think you're going to take a you're going to take a hit um just looking at the west even i i'm high on illinois i think they they brought in a new a good quarterback from Ole miss or i think it's going to come in and really help them i think illinois is still going to be able to run the football effectively um, i know they lose a good chunk but that defense was tremendous last year i think they're just going to reload that side of the ball um, isaiah williams at wide receiver is electric as can be i'm i'm high on illinois uh, don't put it past minnesota either uh, pj fleck is a heck of a coach whether whether you like him or not as a person um, his results have have been great on the football field um, then you look at Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin and um, obviously Matt Rule to Nebraska. 
and Northwestern just added a, a couple uh, big time transfers and and Ben Bryan at quarterback and then uh, uh, a big time wide receiver from Michigan and AJ Henning. So I mean huge additions there for Northwestern. Obviously there's other issues there, but Northwestern's getting better. So I I, I have a hard time believing that that Iowa is just going to be able to challenge now with the Big Ten East um, when I don't even know if they're going to win the West. Um, next question, can Michigan handle being the favorite instead of the underdog to Ohio State? And I think this is a question, it depends on who you ask. Um, I, I've seen plenty of people saying Ohio State's going to be in the playoff, they're going to be in the national championship game. So there's plenty of people that are, are saying Ohio State's not now, obviously, Ohio State's just not going to fall off the map. I mean, they're they're going to be who they are. Um, they're always going to be there. Um, but I think it's definitely Michigan and then Ohio State, in my opinion, 1-2 in that regard. And I think Penn State has closed the gap. I really do. So I, 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 I think Michigan, everything sets up for them. Let, let me just say that. I, I look at... Of course, you look at their schedule, and the you you never you never want to look at their non-conference because like their non-con, they open up against East Carolina, then UNLV and Bowling Green, and then they get Rutgers. They go to Nebraska. They go to Minnesota. They host Indiana. Go to Michigan State. Host Purdue. To Penn State. To Maryland, and then they host Ohio State. So I look at that. Their road games in conference play at Nebraska, at Minnesota, at Michigan State, at Penn State, and at Maryland, those are not easy by any means. I mean, like I just said, Nebraska with the new coaching staff, they're gonna they're they're gonna play a different brand of football. Minnesota's kind of come ready to play. Michigan State, of course, is gonna be ready. I, I don't know if I don't want to. I'll get into that's another one of the questions down the road. Talking about Michigan State a little bit, uh, going to Penn State that is going to be extremely difficult. And Maryland, it, you know, offensively they're going to show up, and they almost beat Michigan last year. So looking at Michigan, I mean, it's 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 not going to be easy for them to get to where they want to get to. But I I I think we all agree that that they have everything it takes to get to that point. Um, then you look at Ohio State, just looking at their schedule real quickly, <clears throat> going to Indiana to open the season, Youngstown State, Western Kentucky, at Notre Dame. That is going to be a extremely difficult game for them. Host Maryland, go to Purdue, host Penn State, go to Wisconsin, to Rutgers, Michigan State, Minnesota, and then at Michigan. I could see Ohio State losing two games. I really could. At Notre Dame and at Michigan this year going to be extremely difficult for them especially with the the new pieces that they're going to have to plug in and and of course obviously we all know Ohio State is going to have top-notch talent to help get them to <clears throat> to the to the level that they need to and want to be at but to answer the answer to the question more of can Michigan handle being the favorite instead of the underdog I absolutely think that they can because J.J. McCarthy is going to be one of the best players in college football at the quarterback position. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are most certainly the best running back duo in college football. Uh, Blake Corum might be the best running back, period. Um, so offensively, they're going to be just fine. You know they're going to have playmakers to catch the ball. Um, they have the transfer tight end from Indiana who looked very good in the spring game. Um, so it's – I. I I am definitely positive that Michigan offensively will be just fine. And defensively, um, adding Josiah Stewart from Coastal Carolina, um, a sack master, um, the all-time leading sacks in a season for Coastal Carolina when he was a true freshman. Uh, th this young man is going to come in, and he's already going to be a draft pick. But I think he could solidify himself as a first-round pick. He is that talented. Um, I know there's been some questions about Michigan's interior defensive line play because they've lost so many guys, but we all know they're going to be able to plug in guys. They're going to be just fine. Um, losing some guys in the secondary, a little surprising, 
um, with the safety that went to Florida and some and some other things. But I think they're going to be just fine. They'll figure it out. I think Michigan's going to be able to handle being the favorite without too many issues. The only thing I I'm not worried about it, but the thing I would caution uh, fans is that road schedule in the Big Ten is is pretty difficult. Um, going to Nebraska, to Minnesota, to Penn State, to Maryland again, they have to manage that. So and Michigan and going to Michigan State as well. So not an easy task for them. <clears throat> Next question is which Big Ten West new coach won't succeed and that has more to do with the fact that they all can't win big and and I agree with that everybody cannot win big and when I look at that I think Matt Rule at Nebraska and Luke Fickle at Wisconsin I think are two known commodities that we know as coaches that are going to come in and they're going to do things right and win games like Matt Rule took over programs at, at Temple when he went there the year before they were 2-10. and 10. At Baylor, they were 1-11. and 11. And then he had those programs take off. Now he's at a program like Nebraska where the resources are a heck of a lot different than those other two programs. I think the sky is the limit potentially for Matt Rule at Nebraska. I, the one thing that I have to say about that is Nebraska fans have to um, be realistic at the beginning of what to expect. You can't just expect them to roll out and just be able to compete right away with Michigan and Ohio State. I, I think, I, I, I think it is very in the realm of possibility that they could win the Big Ten West. I, I definitely think that that's possible. But you need to temper expectations at for for a year or two. Let him build it the right way. There, there's no doubt in my mind that he will win at Nebraska. No doubt in my mind. Then that leads to Luke Fickle at Wisconsin, who has, I mean, can you say anything else about the job that he did at Cincinnati other than that it was masterful and just an extremely, an unbelievable job. I mean, he became the only, he was the only G5, they're the only G5 school to reach the college football playoff, and he led that. Now, granted, I was surprised when he took that Wisconsin job, and I think everybody was. I mean, I didn't – he's an Ohio guy through and through. I thought with Cincinnati going to the Big 12 that he was going to ride that out until maybe Ohio State opened in the future since he played there and coached there. But hats off to him to going to a program where he can – that has had the success that they've had and in the run that they've had with – just having a great football program. The only question that I have for Wisconsin is, is Luke Fickle going to be in complete control or is Barry Alvarez as the AD still having his footprint too much involved in that? That's the only question I have with that position. I don't question that Luke Fickle will be able to bring in the talent that he needs to be successful at the University of Wisconsin, which then leads to... The, the other new hire in the Big Ten West being at Purdue and that being Ryan Walters at Purdue. Ryan Walters, it, it, this is an interesting hire. I mean, he, he he's following the trend of younger coaches getting hired. He's 36 years old, um, just a little bit older than me. Uh, they're hiring a defensive-minded guy after being so offensive-minded for many, many years. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because Purdue has had such a high-flying passing attack for so long, and they're bringing in a young guy who is known for defense, defense, defense. Uh, so I'm, uh, it's going to be intriguing to see how this goes moving forward. I don't question that Ryan Walters will bring in talent to Purdue because he is a fantastic recruiter. Look at the talent that he brought in to Illinois and that defense over the past handful of years. Um, But at the same time, it's if there was one higher out of the three that I'm not as excited about 
for a long-term success rate, it is Purdue. And, and, it, and I think it's for all those reasons I just listed that Walters hasn't been a head coach. He's young, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's also – I think the number one reason in my mind is it is so difficult for a program that hasn't been at that level – at the elite level to break through now. We, we saw Cincinnati and Luke Fickle do it. I, I think at the level that Purdue is at, I don't know if Purdue can realistically be any better than what they are right now. I think Purdue is always, and, and, and correct, and feel free to reach out to me at TNT College Foot One and DM me, please. And, and I would be glad to discuss this with any Purdue fans. But I don't know if Purdue can be any better than what they are. I think eight and four, nine and three, is potentially their ceiling uh, for for maybe ever, forever, possibly. Uh, I just don't know if you're going to be able to get in the guy to Purdue that you need to be an elite Big Ten program. And that's not saying that they can't win the Big Ten West because they did that last year. They absolutely can win the Big Ten West. But they're not competing against Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. We saw what happened when they played Michigan in the Big Ten title game this year. Um, and then you add in USC and UCLA, and we'll see how that how the that configures with the divisions moving forward. Um, but like I said, looking at it at face value, I think this just Ryan Walters has to be the one that you look at as okay, this is probably going to be the one that doesn't work out uh, out of the three. Um, next question, will Mel Tucker be in East Lansing in 365 days? I am going to try to answer this as unbiasedly as I can. Um, I went to the Michigan State-Illinois game last year. I sat right behind Michigan State's bench. I understand Michigan State won that football game. They won that football game because Illinois played pretty stupid, a pretty stupid brand of football, if I if I can be blunt. And the refs were absolutely horrendous uh, for Illinois in that game. And I don't want to be one to complain about that, but when it was as one-sided as it was, I, I have to point that out. But sitting behind the Michigan State bench, I literally sat there and and questioned. And I don't like doing this because I'm a former college head coach and I don't ever want to question anyone's coaching ability because of the, the scrutiny that you face as a head coach, especially at that level, at the highest level of college football. Um, but I really question if uh, Mel Tucker can, can, can do it at the highest level uh, as a coach. I really, really question that. There were circumstances in that game where I – was scratching my head with the decision making that he made in play calling and not using timeouts and using timeouts, calling a timeout in the fourth quarter when it was the, absolutely the most foolish thing he could have done. They're trying to run out the clock and he calls a timeout and just just bizarre coaching decisions um, there that I saw firsthand and and I saw the players' reaction to that stuff. And, and I know there's been some transfers, some big-time transfers from that program recently, and it doesn't surprise me one bit because of what I saw on that Saturday afternoon in Champaign. Like I said, they won the game. They, needed, they did what they had to do to win the football game, and I'll give credit where credit's due there. They won the football game, and that kind of propelled them a little bit to end the season. But at the same time, I really, really question uh, the ability that that is there. Um, I know I've had this conversation with many football fans and friends of mine, um, and they agree with me on this. I would not send my son to go play for him, um, and and my friends and other colleagues in this in this line of work agree with me with that. Um, that's not to say that that could change, but. There's just there's certain people that I just don't trust, and he would be one of them. Now the question being, will Mel Tucker be in East Lansing in 365 days? 
And I say absolutely yes, he will be because he has one of the biggest contracts in college football and Michigan State, in my opinion, is not the type of program uh, that ha that would that would let a coach go when they owe them such a huge amount of money. Uh, that's just not uh, doesn't make sense dollars and cents and cents for that university. So I, I think Mel Tucker would really have to uh, really have to fall off for for them not to for him to not be there next year. Uh, I, I I still think they're going to win enough games to be bowl eligible. I mean, they have talent on that roster. I don't I don't question that. I mean, obviously, Mel Tucker's a fantastic recruiter. We we know that. Uh, but like I said, uh, when I was at that game, I saw the reactions of players um, during some of that some of those exchanges that took place in the field, and you could just tell that there was a major disconnect. Uh, between between uh, head coach and player. Um, just me being a former head coach at, at the college level, I, I can I can understand that. I can see that. I see I see I look at the game a little differently than a lot of people. And I can see I could see that and sense that and it just it, it, again they did what they had to do to win to win that day. Uh, but in the long run I don't see it working out. But again 365 days from now, yes, Mel Tucker would be there just because he has a giant contract. Uh, next question, flipping to the Sun Belt. The impact of uh, 10 returning to the teal turf in Conway, South Carolina. Those of you who don't know who number 10 is, please turn on your television um, and, and get ESPN Plus and watch the Coastal Carolina shot to clears because – Grayson McCall is arguably, in my opinion, arguably the best quarterback in college football. Uh, his accuracy is it, it, it's next level to another level. I mean, his his numbers in college are <clears throat> astounding and eye-popping. And I know everybody's going to say, look at the level he plays against. I, I don't care. Look, look, at the, look at some of the plays he makes as a quarterback. And it just makes you say, wow. I mean, he has that wow factor. I'm very, very excited to see him playing in uh, new head coach Tim Beck's uh, offense. Um, just a more pro-style attack. Uh, he, he obviously fit the spread option that Coach Chadwell used to a T. I mean, he's been running that system since he was in like sixth or seventh grade, I, I, I've heard. So, I mean, obviously he is the absolute best player available to run that system and he ran it to perfection i i think and obviously he i'm sure he had astronomical nil offers to leave coastal um and, and i applaud him for not leaving and sticking it out um just as a fan of coastal carolina but also as a huge fan of grayson mccall uh, every story i've ever heard about him is how fantastic of a young man he is and <clears throat> that I, I think that's the biggest impact of him returning to Conway is just what he means to to that community and to that program, but also the fact that he is the perfect representation of of a student athlete um, that that you want, and I expect amazing things from him this year. I I, I thoroughly believe that he should be a Heisman candidate. In my opinion, he is. They open up the year at UCLA. They have a grand opportunity there to do something special. Um, and I honestly think that they can, and I think they will win that football game. I think Coastal Carolina is going going to go to Pasadena and win in the Rose Bowl. I really honestly believe that. Um, and, and I think Coastal has an opportunity to do something special this year. And it has everything to do with number 10. Now he needs to stay healthy because if he gets hurt, there's a drop-off for sure. Um, and I don't know what that looks like for Coastal moving forward. Um, but for this year, uh, that that team is going to be very, very talented. Uh, they have a lot to shore up defensively. I know they've added a ton of transfers on the back end and the secondary. Uh, they 
obviously that's that's the concern of looking at looking at them. Uh, I I don't question their wide receiver group unreal uh, talent there at that position. I know at running back they'll be just fine. There's fantastic talent there. They added a tremendous addition at tight end, a transfer from Notre Dame, who's going to do huge things there. Could be that next Isaiah Likely type player. Um, I, I could see, I could see things being unreal for that offense. I, I, I just hope they don't have to win in a lot of shootouts, but they certainly have the player who can do it in Grace McCall. Uh, next question. Will there be three mega conferences after realignment is finished? Uh, could these conferences crown their own college football champion? Um, I, I think the way things are moving, it's looking like, in, in my opinion, and another question that was asked was, what is next for conference realignment? So I guess I'll answer that in part with this. Uh, I think the next movement will because it's i i know that the the weight has been for notre dame and it seems like notre dame wants to do everything they can to remain independent which i think is very foolish for them to do uh just because i think it it really takes away an opportunity for them to make the college football playoff i think obviously with the playoff expanding there's going to be at large bids but I think it's going to be very difficult, especially with the conference realignment. I think that these bigger conferences like the Big Ten and SEC moving forward could potentially play only conference games in the future, which I think leads to Notre Dame really putting themselves behind the eight ball because then you lose some of your most significant rivalries because of both of those conferences, uh, especially the Big Ten. You, you play so many of those teams and you USC joining the big 10. There's another team they play every year. So I, I think, I think it's a, I think it'd be really foolish for them not to join a conference, but I understand their mindset. They've been independent for so long and they want that individual TV deal. Uh, and NBC looks like they might be willing to do that. Um, but still moving forward, and I know that's been the one hang-up that realignment hasn't – we haven't had too many – too much movement per se recently. And I think it's because everybody's waiting to see what Notre Dame would do. I think it would be foolish for Notre Dame not to join the Big Ten just because you have so many teams, Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, USC. Like so, – and – They've played Northwestern recently. Like there's, you, you just look at, uh, they played Wisconsin recently. I'm sorry. Um, so you, you, you look at, uh, you just look at that and it just makes sense for them to do that geographically as well. And I know geographically for the conferences doesn't really mean anything anymore, but I, I think the next domino to fall personally is going to be the big 12 pack 12 looking like the Big 12 wants to do everything they can to add Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Utah, and the like. I think I think that is the next big movement, and then that leads to, okay, what does the Pac-12 do after that? I think then that leads to the Big 10 saying, okay, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, potentially Cal, we want you in the Big 10 now. I think that leads to that realm. So I can understand where the three mega conference comes from with the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12. Uh, the SEC could poach from the ACC. We know Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina. You can go down the list. I think North Carolina, I mean, you've seen them mentioned in the Big Ten. <clears throat> I'm not one on, like, predicting these type of things. I just kind of go off of what I hear. I mean, I know I've heard Colorado to the Big 12. Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. Like, I think we've all heard that. And and Colorado recently had some very big discussions about that in their board meetings. Um, but again, for the three mega conference perspective, I think the ACC, I think the ACC is still going to be a player in all this because I think they're still going to have 
plenty of teams there. I think they'll add teams from, say, the AAC, whether it be Memphis, USF, East Carolina. I think UConn is going to end up. I've said that for over over a year now. They probably a year and a half now. UConn will end up in the ACC, um, but I, it's it's a it's definitely a slippery slope. My theory that I've had that with my best friend, we've had this theory for a while now uh, that we've talked about. Um, each con like those mega conferences, like why couldn't the SEC just be like, okay, our conference champion is the national champion? And as we've seen recently, I mean, the team that wins the SEC usually wins the national championship, at least recently. Um, you can obviously throw Clemson in there and Ohio State, not too far down, but and then Florida State won not terribly long ago as well. But for the most part, it's been Auburn, Alabama. In Georgia, uh, predominantly Georgia and Alabama. Um, so, so what's to say that who's to say that the SEC isn't just like okay, we're we're the playoff, and whoever wins the SEC is the national champion, and I and I don't that there's nothing stopping them from that at all. Just like the Big Ten, they could do the same thing. Once you add USC, UCLA, if they add Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal, like maybe even Notre Dame, like who, who's stopping them from doing that? Like if there's 20, 24 teams in your conference, who's stopping you from doing that? Um, nobody. I think the NCAA is in deep trouble when it comes to that. But the theory that me and my buddy have had for a little while now, we're both, we're both, we're college basketball coaches. Um, like I've talked about before. Um, and I think one, one big thing to look at with this is, Every other professional league has, let's just say, a quote-unquote farm system or developmental league. Baseball's had their farm system forever, um, and it clearly works. And, and baseball needs it because you have so many players and so many games. It, it's a necessity. Uh, the NBA has went to their uh, farm system of the G League, and it's done a tremendous job. Like, you, we see tens even maybe hundreds of players or 100 players or so called up every year to play in M in the nba and it's it's and it's done a tremendous job we've seen so many guys become g league players to nba we've seen guys from the g league become nba all-stars now and and i think that's a huge thing nhl i mean each they have affiliated teams as well at the lower levels so why doesn't football have that and, and, and I'm not saying that the XFL, USFL could turn into that down the road maybe, but what's stopping Alabama from becoming, from saying, okay, we're affiliated with the Dallas Cowboys, let's just say, and we're now their quote-unquote farm system. And Georgia's like, okay, we're now the Atlanta Falcons team. And the University of Michigan's like, we're the Detroit Lions team. Just go down the line with different programs i i don't think there's anyone stopping that from happening and me and my buddy have talked about that for a while that like why couldn't these nfl teams that start identifying high school talent and being like we want you to go to this school play for the school we want you to go to and as you develop at that school you're going to become a part of our franchise down the road there's nothing stopping that system from happening and I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but theoretically, it's certainly possible because the other major sports that I just mentioned, baseball, MLB, NBA, NHL, have that system, and it works for them. What is stopping the NFL from having that type of system as well? Like I said, does the USFL or XFL turn into that? that there's definitely a potential for that definitely a potential for that but why could these elite college football programs become that too that that's that's the point that him and i have me and my buddy have discussed for quite some time and and i think it's definitely conceivable that it could happen i i, I really really believe that i could see it down the road potentially coming into play we'll see we'll see what transpires from it but <clears throat> 
nonetheless. Uh, next question from one of my big-time UConn followers. Uh, where are we with 2024 high school commitments? Are there more coming, or is UConn just going to look into the portal? Is the future of is that the future of the program, meaning the portal? Right now, UConn only has one commitment for the 2024 class. It is Caleb Stewart. He's a linebacker from Hollywood, Florida. Um, had had a handful of offers uh, from from different programs, uh, FIU, Indiana, Liberty, UMass were the other FBS programs to offer him, committed to UConn. So I'm really excited about that commitment. And I know for a fact, I mean, I know he visited Florida State, North Carolina, not officially, but so a a significant pickup there, three-star linebacker coming from Florida, who I think is going to be able to do some really good things for UConn. but right now, he is the only commitment in the class of 2024. That being said, UConn and the coaching staff has been on the road heavily, just like every other coaching staff in the country. But every day I'm seeing five to ten offers for the class of 2024, 2025, 2026. I've even seen 2027 offers already for UConn, as other programs as well. So I... By no means do I question at all what's going on when it comes to that. Um, you see other programs getting multiple commitments. I, I, is it concerning? Absolutely not. I know we'll get the guys that we want to get, that we need to get for our program to succeed and do do what we need to do at the next level. And I am a firm believer that UConn and Coach Jim Mora and the rest of the staff, they are firm believers in building the program from the high school level on up and it's it's taking them a little a little time to gain the rapport that they need with those high school coaches especially in connecticut because of the bridges that were burned by the previous coaching staff in due time and they're doing a fantastic job with this already things are going to be great so, no, I do not see the future of the program being living in the portal. I, I don't see that. I, what I do see when it comes to the portal is what exactly what they've been doing. It's adding the pieces when they need to be added um, at the right time. Obviously, right now, they need to add a couple wide receivers, and they're going to do that via the portal because they need that for next year. Um, adding another quarterback to the competition via the portal this year, I think that was a big – that was a good addition to help. Obviously – uh, adding some pieces in the secondary, they were able to do that. Adding a linebacker to via two two different linebackers from the portal was huge to add depth because we lost some guys. So I, I think that's where you're going to bridge. They're going to use the portal to bridge some of the gaps that we have, but yet really really focus on getting those high school guys in and developing them the right way, like a Jackson Mitchell, like uh, Christian Haynes, guys like that that we've had in the program for a little while and develop them into the players that they are now. I I know for a fact that that's what they're going to do. They're not going to live in the portal. The portal is going to be used for the right reasons. They're going to use the portal the right way. Um, and I definitely see that moving forward. Uh, another good question here from a UMass follower. Um, first off, I, I have to say, I, I love the rivalry between UConn and UMass. And, and UMass has some... <clears throat> tremendous fans that I've really grown to enjoy the conversations that I have with them. Um, and I know a lot of UMass fans enjoy the, the healthy banter between UConn and UMass. I, I, I've grown to become a UConn fan because of my affiliation with some of the players and coaches. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I'm also cheering for UMass to succeed too, because it's just, it's just better for everybody with them being good. So the question here was, is, is UMass too good for the Mac? Um, I know, I, I think we've all seen the discussion of UMass potentially joining a conference that they've been thrown out with conference USA with the realignment they just made. And then potentially the Mac, um, granted, if, if you don't know, UMass was in the Mac between 2012 and 2015 as a football member. The MAC wanted them to become a full affiliate member, and UMass said no, 
just because they wanted to stay uh, in the A10 for their other sports, which makes sense. I get it. For the, It made complete sense for them. But now I think UMass does need to look at the independent aspect. Um, it, it, in my opinion, there's no way that has to make dollars and cents with them being independent and then flying all over the country to play some of the games that they're playing. Uh, again, it, that's that's not for me to – I'm not questioning them at all in that regard. But I, I, I do have to say, like, does it make sense for UMass? Like, looking at their schedule this year, they open up at New Mexico State. They go to Auburn, host Miami, Ohio, go to Eastern Michigan, host New Mexico, host Arkansas State, host Toledo, go to Penn State, go to Army, host Merrimack, go to Liberty, and then they're going to play UConn. Um, just looking at that, I mean, I know in the past handful of years they've played multiple MAC teams. They play three this year, and I feel like they've been playing two to three every year. So it makes sense to me to do that. Does it make sense for UMass to be going to New Mexico State, Auburn, um, Penn State? Of course, that's not a, a far trip at all. But like last year, I know they went to Arkansas State. Seeing New Mexico on the list this year makes me think, oh, are they going to go to New Mexico? Um, just just looking at it, it's, and I know they've had like uh, uh, going to Coastal Carolina a couple times uh, in the past. Uh, just kind of looking at that just kind of makes me think like, does it make financial sense for them to be doing that? And, and, and I have to imagine that it doesn't. Um, I, I have to imagine if they were in a conference set on where they were going to and from on a weekly basis that it would make more sense dollars and cents for them to do that. Um, I, I don't think they're too good for the Mac. I mean, I think Don Brown is a fantastic football coach, and I think we've all seen that in the past handful of years that program has really struggled. Um, and and I, I live in Mac country. I go to NIU every year for spring football and I try to go to at least one of their games every year. The, I don't understand the rap that the Mac gets for being bad football. Um, maybe looking at it from a conference perspective when it comes to the other conferences, it might not stand up to some of them, but <clears throat> it's good football. And and I know the argument I've the argument's been made for UConn as well to join the Mac and and I I don't see any issue with that either. I think if UConn and UMass join the MAC for football, it would make sense. I mean, you got Buffalo in there as well. So, I mean, there's another Northeast team there. Um, and so I'm interested to see, like, and I, and I know there was a discussion for the MAC to add Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee back when the Conference USA expansion and teams being pulled away from there. Conference USA did a really good job rebounding there and building the conference that they've built. Um, but I, I don't think any, I don't think any team is too good to be in a conference. I mean, yes, should UMass be in the SEC? We we all know the answer to that. But for UMass to join the MAC, I, I think it would be very good for them um, f from the the football standpoint, especially. I think. Being in a conference now is almost a must, and, and I would I would include the service academies as well. I mean, yes, Navy's in the AAC now. Air Force has been in the Mountain West. We all know that. But I, I think being an independent now is almost um, in in today's brand of college football. It 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 makes it almost impossible to to do the things to like Liberty has built up their program to a point where like this coming year, they could win 10 plus games and they probably should. And in the, and in the future, they definitely should with coach Chadwell and that staff. So you look at that and it's like, if they're independent, it's almost not going to matter because you can't get those time. You're not going to get into the playoff and, and the like with that. So I think, we all know that that 12th team now when the playoff when the playoff gets expanded it's going to the G5 best team in G5 if you win your G5 conference you now have an argument to be that team and potentially even an at large bid potentially 
So I think being in a conference is huge. I think being being in the MAC makes sense. I, I really do. I mean, they were there. I think the program is well on the way up with a tremendous head coach. Um, so I think I, I'm absolutely for it. And then the final question I have dealing with New Mexico State and UTEP and uh, preseason bowl chances. I'm looking at, I'll start with UTEP, like looking at their their schedule um, for this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. They open up week zero conference game uh, versus new conference foe Jacksonville State. I think that is a must win. They turn around the following week. They play Incarnate Word. I think if UTEP starts the season 2-0, and their next game is going to Northwestern. I've already said at the beginning of this show that Northwestern has improved, but Northwestern was terrible last year. So, yes, they've improved, but they're still not an upper echelon team. So that is a, in my opinion, that is a winnable game, especially if UTEP gets off to a good start. If they go to Northwest, if they go to Evanston, starting two and zero, I, I have to like their chances going into that game. The next week they go to Arizona. I think that's a difficult game, but because Arizona has done tremendously well recruiting with the new staff that they have, then they play UNLV. That is a difficult game because UNLV has improved tremendously, but it's a winnable game. That's for sure. Then they turn around, play Louisiana Tech on a Friday night. That game is definitely winnable. Then they go to FIU, definitely winnable. Play New Mexico State, very winnable game. At Sam Houston State, that game's winnable. Western Kentucky, they host them. That's good. I think Western Kentucky and Liberty are the two best teams in the new Conference USA. But, I mean, you get them at home, so you got a shot. They go to Middle Tennessee, that's a winnable game. It's still difficult. And then they end the year against Liberty. So, I mean, they end the year with the three, probably the three toughest teams in the conference when it comes to Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, and Liberty. And they play Western Kentucky and Liberty at home at the Sun Bowl. And then they go to Middle Tennessee. So, I mean, I look at their schedule. I think it's a must for them to start 2-0. If they start 2-0, I, I think they have an opportunity then to go to Northwestern and win that game. Northwestern lost to Illinois State uh, or Southern Illinois last year. So it's definitely in the realm of possibilities. Um, Looking at their non-conference schedule, I think it's possible for them to win three of the games. Incarnate Word, they need to win. And Incarnate Word is a very good FCS program. You go to Northwestern, I think that is winnable. Arizona is difficult. And then UNLV, it's at home. Again, a program on the rise, but a team that they can beat. And then you start your conference play with Louisiana Tech at FIU, New Mexico State, and Sam Houston. Technically, they start at opening week zero. But looking at that, they could start conference play 3-0, and 4-0, 4-1, 3-2 at worst in my opinion. And if, they, if they're three and two, if they win two or three of those conference games or non-conference games, if you win three of them, you're in already, in my opinion. So I, I think their schedule sets up tremendously well. And then you look at the players that they have back, uh, quarterback Gavin Hardison has, has done well for them. Um, in 2021, he threw for over 3,000 yards and had 18 touchdown passes. Last year threw for over 2,000, had 11 touchdowns. He was injured at the at the end of the year, didn't play the final three or four games. So I look at him for have to, to have some great success. They lose their top receiver from last year, and Tyron Smith, he's heading to Texas A&M, but he had an unbelievable season. Um, deservedly so, gets to move on to that level. Their uh, leading running back, Ronald Awat, is now uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. And then uh, they're leading – Returning leading rusher, Deion Hankins, local product from El Paso, ran for over 700 yards last year. So uh, I look for him to really, really uh, do some things for this team. I I think UTEP definitely has an opportunity to play in a bowl game, and I I would actually be surprised if they didn't. Um, 
the thing I would be interested in and seeing, I, I haven't seen the the bowl affiliations with everybody, but I, I would I would guarantee that they're going to get in because it seems like they get everybody in now who's eligible. Then the next one on the list, New Mexico State. I, again, I think that boils down to um, them starting the year the way that they need to start off to. Um, excuse me. I mean, you look at their schedule. They open up week zero against UMass. Winnable game. It's at home. It's in New Mexico. Turn around and play Western Illinois. Western Illinois has improved, but they went 0-11 last year at the FCS level. Turn around the next week. They play at Liberty. Obviously, that's a difficult game. Then they turn around and play the rival New Mexico at New Mexico. I think it's very conceivable that they start the year three and one. If you win, if you win those first two games, which I, I think that they will, especially coming off the bowl victory, um, start the year off three and one, they go to Hawaii then, which is winnable. Um, turn around uh, in conference play, start off with FAU and Sam Houston, both at home, both winnable games. Go to UTEP, go to Louisiana Tech, host Middle Tennessee, go to Western Kentucky, go to Auburn, and they host Jacksonville State to end the year. I think in their case, I mean, you win your home games, you beat UMass, Western Illinois, FIU, Sam Houston, uh, Middle Tennessee, and Jacksonville State. You got six home games, you win those, you're in. And that's not counting the fact you got at New Mexico and at Hawaii, which are winnable. So I, I think it's definitely... And then you go to Louisiana Tech as well. I think that's a very winnable game too. So I look at New Mexico State and I say, especially with the success they had last year, Diego Pavia looked like uh, I, he did a tremendous job leading that team to a bowl victory. I, I, I questioned some of his decision-making as a quarterback, um, not seeing open receivers. But <clears throat> I think he'll progress in that and they will be just fine. And, and I think – moving forward, they're going to be fine. I know that they've lost a handful of guys to the portal like most teams have, especially teams like, like them at the level that they're at. Um, but I think both of them definitely make the, definitely uh, make bowl runs. I think it's very important for both of them to win their first two games. I think if both of them start the year two and zero, I think that really propels them and gets them to a potential, uh, good spot for them. Now, if they lose one or both of those games, I, I really question then their opportunity. But I think that looking at them on paper, both of their rosters are more than sufficient enough to get to where they want to get to when it comes to that. So, again, thank you, everybody, for those great questions. Uh, really really enjoy that. It's always fun for me to interact with people and get their questions and kind of give you my two cents about that. So again, uh, feel free to follow me personally at coach underscore B will on Twitter. Please follow the podcast, Twitter account at TNT college foot one. You can always interact with me there. DM me, um, love interacting with different fan bases and everybody. It's a lot of fun. Um, please like subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. Much appreciated. And everybody have a good night. God bless.